0: Hello, hello, welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. It's Tony here, your lit up leadership career bestie. I'm here for all women in tech in all of their leadership roles, and I am delighted that you're joining us today on the show. Today, I am joined by another fabulous woman in tech who is gonna be talking about her experience of being essentially a fractional CTO, but working for a company that helps other companies fulfill requirements of fractional CTOs. Anyway, we'll dig into that in just a moment. I'm delighted to bring onto the show Danelle. Danelle Peters has over 30 years of experience working with software development teams in a variety of functions. And she just epitomizes once again, how your career is never set in stone. I feel like i was saying this a lot. <laughs> and I, I know our last guest on the show, Jen Moll, was very similar in that she definitely came from a non-traditional technical background. Danelle is somewhat more traditional, but has risen to a potentially less traditional role. And I just, I want you to see the variety of opportunities ahead of you. Mm. Danelle has worked for world-class development teams at Autodesk and Adobe, and she's gained lots of hands-on experience with systems, methods, processes. And today she is a massive advocate of Agile. You're going to hear it, that I have some interesting takes on Agile, and we had a good discussion on that one. She's got lots of experience in managing large, globally distributed teams, so fits in to the leading woman in tech land beautifully. And of course, she has headed up quality engineering. She's been a VP and program director. And prior to the time she spent at Adobe and Autodesk, she's also worked at a variety of startups. So without further ado, let's get Danelle onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Can you start by sharing with us all your career journey, some highlights, those lowlights as well, which are always very telling in my opinion, and how you came to be so passionate about Agile?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, actually, my, my career started in high school. It goes way back when uh, I was with an organization called Junior Achievement and got a summer job building computers for Hewlett-Packard. Oh, and wow. And it just kind of expanded from there. Uh, after that, I got a job working at Xylog, and we were building z eighty computers. And I had a friend um, who was a bench tech, and this was in Silicon Valley. and um you know I had friends who were assembling building wafers, and you know it was all about computers and technology and stuff. so i I just had an early interest uh, in in technology. But my career didn't really start until the IBM PC came out. And I just knew that was gonna be the next big thing. And I happened to live in um, California and Marin County and there were some software companies here. And I got a job uh, doing software testing at MicroPro for the WordStar product. I don't know if you ever remember that, but it was one of the early word processors and was actually sort of a precursor to HTML. Um, Oh, wow. And our, our main competitor was WordPerfect, and um, <laughs> so when when I um, when I joined that company, and was part of a team building software, I I found my thing. I just I never left. It was so exciting to be with you know a, a team with a lot of women uh, in software testing, focused on you know creating value for customers through through our work and you know delivering it to the market and it was just really really fun and you know that was with the days of you know the dual floppy disk systems with barely any ram and you know i've seen the evolution of the entire computer industry you know from from the ground floor oh wow so yeah that was that was pretty cool and i've stayed in touch with some of the people that i worked with at that at that first job we've we've evolved together through multiple companies so after a few years there, uh, there was another software company here in Marin called Autodesk that I was very interested in. And one of my friends went there and uh, I ended up at Autodesk. And, and this was this was back in the 80s. Um, and the when my first day on the job, I had a Sun microsystem computer on my desk, which was amazing. So I went from, you know, dual floppy PC to a Unix <laughs> microsystem, you know, Sun Microsystem, which that's when I learned about real operating systems. <laughs> and uh, I ended up, after six months, um, I was in a software testing organization for, for AutoCAD. I ended up being a lead and, um, you know, was in a position to you know, help interview and, and hire people. And I really understood the value of, of that process. And bringing the right people in, you know, to, to build the team. I also uh, was in charge of the entire lab for AutoCAD, so it was filled with printers and plotters and and every type of Unix workstation you can imagine, from you know Dell and SGI and HP and all of that, even an old Apollo. the lab had all these old computers like Wangs and Apricots and stuff from all the the Wild West of, you know, the the computers that were happening at that time. And AutoCAD was ported to like 17 or 18 platforms. It was pretty amazing. So I ended up um, managing AutoCAD uh, quality engineering at one point. And um, after doing that for a number of releases, uh, I decided to join the emerging business unit. And, um was part of the initial team that created 3D Studio Max. And um, I think you know when I' when I look back on that time, that's probably the project and the product that I'm the most proud of because it was a remarkable team. And uh, the, the developers were actually a, a third party uh, company called the Yoast group who had created 3D studio and this was taking it, to the new NT operating system, which was much more powerful. So we we put that baby out to market and it really took off. And um, back, back then, if you ever saw, um, there was a product called Character Studio that we, we also worked on. If you ever saw that dancing baby animation, that was actually a, a sample test file that we had created <laughs> for, for the application. But you know, 3D Studio Max went on to you know, be used in special effects. It was used in the Johnny Mnemonic uh, movie. Obviously it fueled the, the games industry. Mm. And um, in my role at Crosslake, on one of, uh, one of the due diligences that we went on, um, we encountered a company that's using 3D Studio Max to create 3D visualization for, for medical training. So we never imagined when we created that product that mm. one day it would be training doctors and saving people's lives in the emergency room.
0: Yeah, so. I just I just actually want to pull that out and highlight that. I think a lot of the time it's very easy for us to drown in like I'm just doing this thing and I don't understand what it's going to have what the impact is going to be. But right there you've just highlighted how so much of what we do in technology can have such a huge impact well beyond our initial assumptions. And I think we all need to lean into that more. Would you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. with you know with AutoCAD, I mean people were building bridges. and it was double precision floating point, you know data mm. integrity. I mean, it was it was a serious application. And uh, you know that's where I learned a lot about en- engineering and engineering process, was working with the founders of the company. Many of them were high school dropouts, but they were brilliant, taught themselves to code. Um, John Walker was legendary, and um, you know, and they, and it was a very exciting time at the company where they every Thursday they had these these tech talks, and they'd bring in people from all over, like you know Jaron Lanier and you know others who would come and talk about what they were working on. The early days of virtual reality, it was it was really really extraordinary, and I'm very fortunate that I that I had that experience. But but after 12 years, I just decided it was time. I, I didn't want to become a lifer, which I've seen a lot of people do, and they just sort of pop, they just sort of cruise um, mm. on autopilot. And I I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go learn some new things. And there was a whole new thing happening with the internet, client server, enterprise application software. So I left Autodesk and went and joined a startup. Which was the first of three startups that I did in five years. Wow! (laughs) World, yeah. So the first startup was um, building a traffic system for broadcast television, and it turns out broadcast television was about the most low-tech thing you could imagine. (laughs) They were using old green screen, ugly monitors with you know super courier on the on the screen, and it was it was terrible. So it, they needed a modernized system that helped help them place all of the advertising and programming, which has a lot of complex rules around, around it. You, know, you can't run a car ad within so much time of another car ad, and you can't follow this with that. And it was, you know, and things get interrupted and what do you do with all the programming? So we, we um, I worked on that for about a year, but the problem was um, while the founder of the company had extremely Excellent business domain. He didn't know much about running a software company, and and so he would hire programmers that he met in a restaurant, hmm. and didn't really know how to pull the team together. And so the product never materialized in a way that I, I had hired a testing team and we were ready to go, and the builds weren't the builds weren't happening. So
0: again, can I just because I think there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who are considering startups or being in startups. With the benefit of hindsight, what could you have done differently in your career at that point to have avoided that?
1: You know, I don't think I could have avoided it because I was at Autodust for 12 years and, and I was just used to engineering success. I, oh, at that okay. point in my life, I didn't imagine that they couldn't figure out how to build it. <laughs> I, I just never imagined it. But the good thing is, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't stay there long. And I, I took everything with me that I learned. Like I installed the source code control system. You know, I I got everything together as much as I could, but clearly it wasn't. And, and they went on eventually to become successful. It just took another year and a half after I left uh, for that to happen.
0: So how did you become a, C- um, a transitioning CTO at CrossLake? I am fascinated by this because it's such an interesting role to me. So...
1: What Crosslake does is um, we provide a number of services, um, primarily focused around technical due diligence for both uh, companies that are buying and companies that are selling. So after we get in there and we you know we meet the companies and we write reports on, you know what what they're really good at and areas they may need improvement. Many times we're contacted either by the person uh, the company that acquired the company or Sometimes companies will acquire other software companies, you know, as they're growing their portfolio. So, uh, and and then we focus on helping them with value creation. You know, what are the things that we suggested they could do that would help improve the value of the company by improving efficiency, expanding their market, you know, whatever it might be. In this case, um, the role that I'm in today, I've had a couple of these interim roles at Crosslake. One was a um, financial services company and I came in because the head of uh, the head of product had left, and so I was an interim product leader, and it's a, it's sort of a bridge, you know, to help them keep going and make improvements while they they look to hire, you know, the eventual replacement. So I went in, and one of the areas of focus um, that's connected with my interest in agile is is Jira configuration because it's about process, and Jira is the leading you know, tool for, for engineering teams in the market for project management and, and and everything, you know, daily, daily workflows. So I went in and understood, you know, got, got a lay of the land and saw what they were doing and saw that they would benefit from having a lot of automation where it was taking like an intern most of their time to manually process Mm -hmm. these requests. We set up some automation and got that going. And then, um, look to hire um, the C- the CPO, Chief Product officer or head of product, but I-, I helped them with quite a quite a bit that way. And uh, that was a really fun project. And then what I'm working on now is I'm working for a global supply chain company that bought another supply chain company. And um, they they need a CTO and and so what I'm doing is I'm helping to uh, merge the engineering teams together by creating a unified software development life cycle and configuring JIRA so that it supports that and also launching Agile uh, for all the teams from for both the engineering side and the solutions side. It's it's really fun. It's, it's one of the most fun jobs I've ever had.
0: And I, I think I wanna just dig into this for a second because I am sure listening to this, some people are gonna be like, wow, there's a thing called a transitioning CEO, which I, sorry, transitioning CTO, which I think so many people are going to be intrigued by because I think many of us, we reach a certain point and we want new challenges. And this transitioning CTO role is always about the next challenge. It's like you've got this organization in front of you, you're a CTO for a small amount of time, and then you hand it over. How do people get started in a career like this?
1: (laughs) That's a really good question. (laughs) So, um, you know, Crosslake has really helped me expand my horizons. And, and I never imagined you know, having these types of opportunities. You know, when, um, A long time ago, I, I worked with somebody who, who was a consultant uh, for a software uh, testing company, and he would travel the world and meet with all these companies. And he had his fingers on the pulse of what was happening in software testing, what the latest strategies were, what the best tools were. were. And I loved talking to him because I learned so much. And I ended up in a job like that with Crosslake, um, where I get to see, you know, I've probably done over 70 or 80 diligences with different companies learning the ins and outs of their people and their process, their their product, their product strategy and roadmap, uh, what their software development lifecycle is like, what, how they do customer support, customer deployment, architecture, infrastructure, security. It's, it's this incredibly broad f- focus where we spend a couple of days with clients. Now it's mostly remote, but we used to travel, getting to know them, getting to know how they do things, and then we write up reports and provide a lot of metrics uh, that we deliver either to our client, who might be a private equity firm, or to to the acquiring company. So as a result of that, you know, I've learned a lot more about these tech technical. Uh, processes that I I wasn't exposed to in a a single role at a single company, and so and you know I was I was asked, hey, you know, we've got this interim role, which would you like to try it? And I said, sure, kind of like this podcast. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe people will want to hear my story. I don't know. So that, that's how it happened, and um, you know, this is a, a really fascinating line of of work. Uh, and we, we are looking for, for women in technology to join us. Um, it's, you know, it's a numbers game where there's, there's only so many women in tech, and then there's even fewer women in management in tech. And, and we're looking for those leaders, you know, to come work with us and, and, and you know, enjoy this fascinating uh, type of work where you learn all the time. And when I talk to my colleagues, we're always saying, oh, yeah, I worked at this company and they did this. It was the most amazing technology enablement we've ever seen for retail or whatever it was. Um, But it's it's really fun work.
0: There you go, listeners. If you are like fascinated by this right there, Danelle has said she needs to hire people. (laughs) Connect with her. After you finish listening to this episode, go to the show notes, find her LinkedIn profile, connect with her. (laughs) Just saying. Um, it breaks my heart how many women are saying, Hey, I want my next management role, and how many companies are saying, hey, we need to hire more women into management. And yet the two are not meeting. So right here, this one of reasons we do this podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I can talk about that, boy. It's um, you know, women are expected to prove you can do it. Men are expected they can learn how to do it. It's 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 a completely different standard. And know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because you know, I'm really passionate about trying to help more women succeed in technology.
0: Yeah, I, I I am honored constantly by how many women support this podcast because of these kinds of conversations um, and women like you coming on and sharing your story, inspiring the next generation or even the women just, you know, two steps behind you to take that next step and opening doors. But let's talk about Agile for a second, because I do want to talk about, as you know, because we had a conversation before hitting record, I don't have a good personal experience with Agile. I do not think fondly of it at all. So I love that you're passionate about it, because you've really lent into not just as a methodology for delivering software, but as a methodology for actually helping with soft skills and improving overall team performance. Can you explain a little bit more about how Agile improves overall team performance when it's done well? Sure. Rather than the experience I had.
1: <laughs> I Obviously, I had a background in software engineering process. It, in the old days, it was waterfall. You know, it could take you a year <laughs> to do a release, right? Mm-hmm. So we had these, all these well-defined procedures and ways of tracking it and tools and all. And it took a while to learn, depending when you go from company to company, you would have to mm-hmm. learn a whole new process. And so it takes longer for new people to get up to speed. So when I was at Adobe, one of the video editing teams adopted Agile and they had such a great uh, success with it. They became inside uh, drivers of, of this process. So it grew organically, you know, across the teams until the point came where it was determined that all the teams had to adopt it. And I was like, what the heck is this new process? Why do we need that? It, it, the way we're doing things is great. So I jumped in to learn it and realized it was really fantastic. And um, one of the reasons for that is that it's about people and interactions and, and, and val- it's value driven. And, and it's about people changing their behavior to achieve high performance. You know, I've also had the, the great honor of being on some very high-performing teams, and I know what that feels like and looks like. And when I realized that this process could would enable that through these behavioral changes and values uh, that guide the thinking and problem-solving, I was, I was convinced you know, that it was a great thing. And, and, and these people that were at Adobe with me, many of them have gone on to become world-renowned Agilists. And they're they're you know seminars where they speak all the time so um, what the process is is it's um, you know you have um, scrum is is usually the, the process that's recommended Kanban is another one but I'll focus on scrum where you have a sprint and that can be of it should be a set duration for for every sprint two weeks is kind of a standard some teams have one week some teams have a month but the more frequently you can have a sprint, the more opportunities you have to iterate and improve. And uh, teams are formed of, you know, seven to nine people. Seven seems to be a sweet spot. The smaller the team, the less overhead there there is with communication. And there's a daily standup where the teams get together. And the the intent also of Scrum is to not have a lot of meetings. You focus on what is in your sprint. You get the communication happens every day, so you're in touch with everyone on the team and you know what people plan to do the day before, what they actually got done, what might have interfered with their ability to get the work done, what they you know what they plan to do today and if they're on track or not for the sprint. And I have to tell you with you know this job I have today on launching these new teams, And I've been just focusing on just getting the daily stand-up right because Mm -hmm. people don't want to admit that they haven't gotten the work done that they plan to get done because it's perceived as a failure. So the five scrum values are commitment, focus, openness, respect, and courage. And so, you know, being open, it's a challenge. Some people don't like to get into this. They call it the touchy-feely stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's where things really happen. So I also when I'm launching teams I talk to them about the Tuckman model of storming, forming, norming and performing. You know, that really comes into play when you're when you're creating a team and creating a foundation. You know, so we go through a, you know, a team launch process to help everybody get to know each other and understand a little bit about their background, what skills they have, what they're like, you know, their personalities. Help them understand, you know, what, what the skills are on the team and and go from there. But um, the other thing about Scrum is that it's 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 an empirical process that uses transparency, inspection, and adaption. So when you when you start your first sprint, most likely you're not going to succeed. And what'll happen is you'll you'll realize you've got all these problems. So-and-so doesn't have these skills, we don't have these tools. Common problem is testing, the testing team can't figure out how to test this in the two weeks, what are we gonna do? Problems are not problems with Scrum. The process is working when the problems are revealed. And then you have, at the end of the sprint, you have a retrospective and you say, well, what worked and what didn't and what do we need to do better? And it just goes from there. And usually it takes teams several sprints to kind of get a rhythm, figure out what their problems are. The other thing that's really great about it is that the role of the manager really changes because it gets rid of that old sort of patriarchy of command and control. That's completely obsolete. And so what's the role of the manager with this process? Their role is to be a coach and to help the individuals succeed and to remove the impediments that they identify Often there's conflict on teams that they need to step in and help try to resolve if the team can't solve their own problems. Uh, sometimes it takes a while for teams to get to that point. So they have a different, a different job. They're they also, uh, especially middle managers, they are to help communicate upwards in the organization by being aware of the team, the team and their progress. So that's what's so great about JIRA is that it provides the transparency into how the teams are performing. All the reports are built in, so you can see the sprint burn down chart, the burn up chart, uh, the velocity, and then Jira can be configured to collect more metrics. It's got cycle time and lead time. So it tells you as far as your, your uh, lead time is the, the speed of your value chain. How quickly can you deliver the value to customers from the time you have this idea that you write down till it goes into production? And then the cycle time, Shows you how long it takes to go through each of the states that you you go through in in the sprint, you know you 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 hit the in progress button, it starts the clock, then maybe it goes to a code review and it goes to testing and how long each of these stages take, so you can see where your bottlenecks are and again you can inspect and and adapt. So it's it's really fun and it's exciting and when people realize what's happening and that there's they have the ability to To own their world and and drive it, um, it it creates a lot of motivation and teamwork. And, you know, there's only three roles on a scrum team. There's the product owner who owns the backlog and defines the requirements. There's the scrum master who is the, the owner of quality and performance. And then there's the team. So there's no hierarchy in the team because that That's, you know, an agile anti-pattern. You never want to have a manager on a team as a team member with people that report to them because it's, it, it, it impairs the, the communication because people are afraid to be open because it might be on their review.
0: Mm. I think you've really addressed a couple of things that I've seen go wrong, both my personal experience when I was a software engineer, and even as an executive watching agile being rolled out and thinking, hmm. Um, but also now with clients I work with, and I think, sadly, Agile is used, in my experience, as an excuse to change strategy, right? And changing strategies like steering a big ship, it should not be done lightly. Um, whereas I, I love your fi- idea here of using the the scrum meetings to actually set, like iterate over what's working, what's not working. It isn't an opportunity to change direction of travel, it's an opportunity to improve. I think that there's a subtle shift in mindset there, which I don't see played out enough in the workplace. Would you agree?
1: A- ab- absolutely. And, and there's another fundamental piece to this that that's required for, for this to be successful, especially in a larger organization. But even with a startup, you've got to have a product roadmap. And you, you have to understand the strategy. Now, I know in startups, your strategy can change every month, which that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. And you have to be able to go with that, and this can support that um, because you are able to quickly shift gears and go in a different direction. The great thing is you only spend two weeks on a certain direction; you can change it. But you need to make sure you have people who can adapt at that speed and and set that intention. But for larger companies, what matters is that you've got your business KPIs, and those are translated into, you know, your your product roadmap, and you have, you know, a twelve month view. At least because for for your teams, for your scrum teams, you want to have a backlog that's groomed and ready, you know, one to three sprints ahead. And that means that the whole team participates in looking at every user story where the product owner explains it to them. The team then defines what the acceptance criteria are. So that that demonstrates their understanding of what's being asked. The, the developers identify what tasks need to be completed, and then everyone works together to estimate how much effort they think that will be. The idea then for a two-week sprint is that you have these user stories that are, you know, one to three days in duration so that you can have your burn down during that sprint um, and see your progress. A lot of people make mistakes and they they pull things into the sprint after they've already completed so then instead of a burn down chart it's a, it's it's burning up in the wrong direction yeah um, also there's a you know there's a hierarchy where you've got you know epics that may last for a full quarter and initiatives that could be 12 months or so so it's very disciplined and organized and a lot of people think agile just means you don't have to document anything and you can do whatever you want but instead, you put much more effort on the upfront planning, and then the execution is what goes really, really quickly. You've done your job in defining the requirements, grooming your backlog and estimating. You can you can plan your sprint and execute your sprint once you understand the process and the teams are up to speed pretty pretty easily.
0: Yeah, that is absolutely key. And I think it's so sad that actually so many people are rolling out agile um, don't know how to roll it out. And that breaks my heart because actually, I mean, I quite often coach people in terms of strategy execution, using the four disciplines of execution model. And a lot of it is, it's very similar to nomenclature. Like it's making sure everybody knows where they're supposed to be going. It's looking at behavioral changes that need to be made, having a really good firm understanding of the backlog and what needs to be executed and why. And that upfront proactive effort that I think is sadly missing so much of the time in every aspect of the workplace, not just in software engineering, by the way, in every aspect of the workplace, we don't spend enough time being proactive.
1: You know, one of, one of the things that can really um, cause it to fail is when the leaders of the company are not on board. And and so when we go into a company and talk about some sort of large-scale agile you know, rollout, you have to work with the C-suite first Because if they're still going to demand, you know, interrupting sprints and, oh, this customer wants this and this customer wants that, you don't want to be interrupting your teams because you're losing your velocity and and a lot of your Mm -hmm. momentum. So that's one of the challenges. Um, The other thing, too, is that you also have to recognize that when you have products in production, you have to support them. And instead of interrupting the scrum teams with incoming unexpected maintenance requests, when a company gets to a certain size, it really works to have a separate maintenance team. And then that's when this Kanban process comes into effect where you can't predict what's going to happen um, over the course of the, of the sprint. So what you do is you, you work on the priority of the day and you you limit the work in progress, it's called WIP limits, to one to two items per person. So you always get something done, it's just that it can change. Oh, I love it. And then that that helps keep the heat off the feature delivery teams.
0: I really, really love that. I think that's something we all need to do more of. <laughs> um, let's move on to the quick fire round, because otherwise we could spend the whole day talking about Agile. Um, I love to ask these questions, I just think it gives us insights into the mindsets of other women in tech. Um what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: Okay. Um actually the worst piece of advice I ever got was to marry my ex-husband, but that is like a totally different story. <laughs> That's actually the worst. <laughs> um I I've not had a lot of bad advice uh on my career, really. Um you know, when I look back on it, you know, I I I spent some time, you know, preparing for this podcast and um it's it's kind of like climbing a mountain, you know. You're just on a path moving forward, but when you I look behind and see w- where I've been, it, it all made sense. And you know, I I think um, you know some of some of the the things that have helped is is always deciding to choose interesting work, and and with people that I like and with a company with values that I share, and and I've ended up. Um, and also not being afraid to try new things. So I think the, the best the best advice that I've ever gotten, you're probably going to ask that next, right?
0: Yes, I am. What is the best music advice? Next question. <laughs> don't, don't give up. Don't give up. And,
1: and you know, achievement mm. uh, takes work. And um, when I was in fourth grade, I, I started um, playing cello on musical instrument. So I had to practice. And, and that was really hard. You, 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 when you want to learn an instrument, it doesn't just happen. You you have to practice at it, and then you you have a skill. So it it requires not giving up. And um, I also spent a lot of years in martial arts and and learned that in that as well. Because you want to succeed, you have to practice. You have to you have to put in the time. So I think that's the most important thing.
0: Don't give up. Love it. Okay, what is your favorite book right now? Fiction or nonfiction?
1: well my favorite book right now is actually coaching agile teams with Lisa Atkins I've been reading it a lot and um, helping people that I'm working with um, learn a lot of the concepts it's a really really valuable uh, reference book I'd highly recommend it uh, to anybody
0: good if you want to if you're listening and you want to get started with agile there you go book recommendation <laughs> um, okay let's talk mindset what is your favorite mindset tip to help leaders
1: um so it's uh, stop what you're doing, take a break, and breathe. And it's as simple as that. And uh, walk away, go for a walk, breathe, do some mindfulness practice. I like to let the creative threads run in the background. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you least expect it, walking the dog or taking a shower, you know, you the, the answers come to you, sometimes even in dreams. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> um, I, th- I think that's just a really simple, but very effective way um, to, to shift your mind and get out of the way.
0: I like. I want to do a, a round of applause for that one. That is like so powerful. Um, I'm a big believer in unconscious processing. This, the, the problem solving we do when we're not actively looking at the problem. Um, I think my best ideas come first thing in the morning after a good night's sleep, or while I'm cooking, or you know. I don't clean enough, I always say cleaning, but cooking, um, definitely. Interestingly, not while I'm reading a different book or while I'm watching the TV. I think that absorbs our conscious energy too much. But a good night's sleep works wonders. Um, This has been amazing. So how can people find out more about what you do, more about Crosslake, and how people can connect with you directly?
1: Well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search on Donnell Peters, you'll find my profile and uh, Crosslake Technologies. We, we've got a website up there where uh, you can um, you can find us and learn more about what we do and uh, come join us.
0: Fabulous. There you go. As I said, ladies, if you're listening to this and you want a job and you want to explore what being a transitioning CTO is like, then Donnell is your lady. Um, any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today?
1: I'd just like to, to say to all the women out there who are, who are just getting started that, um, you know, technology is, is an incredibly creative um, domain and, you know, men t- tend to focus on, you know, the, the, the engineering and, the, you know, the math and, and all of that. And yeah, there's science involved, but there's creativity with the innovation and you know, focusing on the on the intersection of art and science, I think, is a really powerful place. And there's a lot of women who are great designers and and have a lot of creativity. So don't don't be afraid to join engineering uh, if you're a creative person, because there's a place for everyone in that world.
0: Thank you so much. That is such a powerful place to leave this interview. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: And listeners, make sure you do go connect with Donnell. find out all about Crosslake. And remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.